The following program is presented by the HTM Podcast Network. This is your United States of America. Saturday, June 8th, 2019, and you are tuned into the Hitting the Marks Pro Wrestling Podcast, powered by the Roar Network at thegorillaposition.com. Presented by Hameen Media. And in association with Last Word on ProWrestling.com. On this week's show, we're talking some New Japan, AEW, MLW, ROH, NWA, Impact Wrestling, and of course, some WWE. But before we dive in, it's my obligation to remind you this is a podcast by the fans for the fans, bringing you all the news that is news from across the professional wrestling world. You can find the entire HTM Podcast Network online at hittingthemarks.com. My name is Jargo. I will be your host for the day, but give it up for my tag team partner. He's the man, the myth, the legend, the voice of Battle on the Border, professional wrestling, the real... RBV. Rick, welcome back to your show. Pro Wrestling Fanatics, welcome to battle. Oh, wait a minute. Wrong show, wrong show. Let me restart here. It's me, it's me. It's that art of the B2B. Rick Vickery back again. The Hitting Lux Pro Wrestling Podcast. Jargo, uh, sorry for the little bit of the delay here, but I have just had a, a hectic few days. Uh, let's say hectic, fun, and educational few days, if you will. And now, just to, I, I know we've talked about it a little bit before, but for those just joining us for the first time, Huckleberry, you are actually undergoing your first set of TV tapings right now for Battle on the Border. Those will be hitting air July 3rd. Is that correct? That, that is a tentative date. As I said, educational and hectic. Those two kind of play, uh, play into the, the same area. It has been a learning experience. We're working through it right now, but, you know, we're kind of doing some things on the fly. And it complicates itself a little bit for those that aren't familiar with it. You know, when, when you're doing you know, things that outside of live television, what we're used to with like WWE, when you get kind of get down to, you know, the brass tacks of how they operate inside of like MLW, Ring of Honor, Impact Wrestling, it can be very chaotic at times because you're, you're taping things out of order. So you have to kind of rearrange the contents that you're presenting it in. You're shooting your promos at different areas. You've got post-production. So much that goes into it. So much that goes into, you know, that finished product before it hits the air. That I have a feeling you know, so many just take for granted. And really, you're catering to two different audiences because you have to present for the live audience in attendance for the show. And then you're trying to adapt things for the TV audience in a month or so. Which is a... a Probably a little hectic for what we're going through because you know when you're going to an impact television taping, when you're going to a Ring of Honor television taping, you know what to expect. It's it's going to be a little bit out of out of the ordinary. What we are attempting to do here is we, we've kind of market this as two different shows, and actually we've kind of kept the television aspect of it kind of under wraps. I was going to ask if you let the live audience know that they were at a TV taping. Well, we let them know while they were there. They, they knew, you know, obviously we had the commentary right there in the middle. You know, we were surrounded by fans. We, we intentionally set that up right around uh, where the hard cam was, where we were positioned 
so that we could get fans kind of interacting with us. You know, they could hear us calling it as it was happening, you know, try to improve the reactions around us to pick up those mics that were closest to the cam and all that. Uh, but we let them know that. But the reason we, we didn't announce anything going in is we didn't want it to take away from live attendance. We didn't want individuals to feel, okay, it's not a big deal if I miss this show. You know, I'm going to be able to catch all of this action, these two, this two days extravagance. I can catch this, you know, airing on, you know, streaming services. We didn't want to lose out on that. So we kind of kept it under wraps. We wanted people, you know, to, to file through the file through the gate. So experience it live. I mean, there's nothing like live professional wrestling. You know, it's such a different, it's a different beast than television. So we market it in that direction. And now we're kind of moving in. The next month would we'll be marketing, really marketing the television. But in doing so, we want to be able to tell two different stories. We don't want you to see the same thing that you saw at the live event. You know, you're going to get the backstage vignettes. You're going to understand why some different things happen. And some things are, are kind of, it's going to kind of take on a, an own narrative of its own. Well, and I mean, we, we see that in NXT. I mean, obviously, NXT did uh, tapings last night. You can go, you can find the results online, but the results only tell you so much because like you were saying, there's there's all the backstage segments, there's all the vignettes, there's what happens in William Regal's office. There's so much more to the NXT TV show than just sitting there and reading through results. And another company that seemingly has that issue at this point is ROH, and in a little bit, a different way, because what you're going through right now is what ROH is dealing with, because they're trying to run two narratives. They have their TV narrative and they have their live show narrative. Do you feel any differently about Honor Club 24 hours removed from your first TV taping? Well, you have even before, you know, before what we went through last night and what I know about Honor Club, they were they actually provided, a, you know, a great deal of of education for us going back to the Briscoes and the GOD where they showed you about two hours of how they handle their taping. And now I knew that was the model that I, that I wanted to follow, but you know, sometimes, you know, it, when I'm explaining, when I explain it to you, obviously you understand it. You actually helped me through some of it, you know, the, you know, to kind of iron out some of those wrinkles there. But as I'm talking to individuals and I, and I don't want to call anyone up by name or anything like that but don't necessarily have that kind of background they don't know offense so you know so much like that or especially when you're trying to get in to producing a, a show or anything like that it, it kind of it throws them off to what they're used to you know the live event will just run it and tape it and air it well that's not exactly how it's going to work because again you know we're going back to telling those two narratives we've got we got so much time to fill I mean, we're running two days of events with, uh, I think we're anywhere from, uh, you know, if we throw in the pre-shows, you know, we've got 12 to 14 matches. We need to fill eight one-hour shows. So, you know, there's going to be times that, you know, we want to go back and explain other things. So we'll go into the vault and kind of work that into, like, into the television that it's just happening. So it's good. So that canon kind of plays together as opposed to what we've already seen at the live event. Um, outside of yourself... And outside of the actual wrestling talent, how many TV people do you have? Like, how many people have experience working any kind of television? Or are you guys really learning this thing as you go along? Uh, we, we are very fortunate. We have an individual by the name of James Hand. Uh, he's based out of here of Ohio. He works. Uh, he is a professor. You know, that's what he kind of teaches. It, it is the production and all that. He does the audio production, the, the filming production and all that. So, you know, he is our our wealth of knowledge. 
you know, we can reference him there. Uh, you know, myself, you know, has a little bit of a background in there, kind of, especially with how we should write these, form, formulate the scripts. And I don't mean that in a sense as what people would think is actual wrestling creative. Uh, this is one of those things where, you know, I, I'm kind of told, okay, this is the direction they're going. These are the stories that are happening. Do you have any input? But we need you then to reset these things into a television format and, and kind of re-sculpt those stories. And that's really the role of whether it be Michael Cole or Mr. Ian Riccoboni, Kevin Kelly, pick your poison. I mean, that's the narrator of the show. That's the role that you have found yourself in now. Well, yeah, in front of the camera, of course. But then also going back, you know, there's going to be We've got, you know, we obviously we ran last night. We've got seven matches, seven matches in the can. We're going to run again tonight, another set of matches. There will be matches running late tonight that will actually air on television before what aired last night because we're re, we're re-sculpting the stories that are being told. It's all magic, ladies and gentlemen. What you see behind the camera, what you see in front of the camera. And sometimes you have an issue like our lead story here this week, Rick, where they actually overlap. And we want to start things off with Bully Ray and uh, what happened at State of the Art over the course of last weekend and the shows that we we had a privilege to see. Um, It seems that there was a little bit of an incident with a fan. And now ROH is conducting their own internal investigation. Um, I actually reached out to our friends and I got the generic statement, Huckleberry. They, they sent me the same statement that I'm sure that they sent to the PW Torch and the same statement that they sent to the Wrestling Observer. And here is the statement. Are you ready for this? Ring of Honor prides itself on providing a fun and entertaining environment for both our fans and our wrestlers to the professional wrestling at the highest level. Fans are encouraged to cheer, boo, and chant during the show while wrestlers interact both positively and in a rivalry as that is the engagement that makes the ROH experience what it is. Wrestlers interacting with fans is core to the experience. However, under no circumstance should any of our athletes or staff confront or engage fans outside of the bounds of this entertainment experience or outside of the bounds of the area that hosts this experience. And dude, this is like straight WWE corporate speak bullshit to a T. Oh, come on. It's just not WWE. This is this is just your it's, typical it's, generic it's corporate bullshit. That's what it is. But I, I feel like I'm reading a WWE press release. Here's the reality of did things. I, did I write like four or five of those a month? Here is the reality of things. And I think there is one thing that is getting so lost inside of this story for ROH. All right. And I have seen this happen before as a fan. I have seen this happen before as a talent. All right. You have a fan at a concert. And that fan is getting unruly, all right? The security team grabs the fan, and who do they take them to? They take them to the tour manager for the band. That's what Bully Ray is. Bully Ray is office. Like, somehow inside of this narrative, it has been completely lost that Bully Ray is on the booking committee, that Bully Ray is one of the senior members of the ROH office 
on these live shows. It would either be Bully Ray or Todd Sinclair. Those are going to be the two guys that are going to talk to these people. And I keep hearing this narrative about security, security, security. I'll bet you anything that security was employed by ROH, not the building that they were at. When we were at StarCast, when we watched Double or Nothing, who do you see all over that place? Atlas Security. Atlas Security is employed by AEW, not the arena. This was handled exactly the way that it should have been handled, and the problem is, it was Bully Ray. Everybody's just looking at this as Bully Ray the wrestler. This is not Bully Ray the wrestler. This is Bully Ray the office. Well, I think, you know, when a lot of people, especially in, when it comes to, you know, the world of professional wrestling, and you were talking about here with the letter, with the statement that they have released, you know, comparing it to WWE. And I think they're taking this situation as well. I mean, you wouldn't hear about, you know, an unruly fan at that time being pulled to the back and being confronted, you know, by a Fit Finley or someone, perhaps. Uh, you know, most certainly not a Triple H or a Vince McMahon themselves. But they do handle their security there quite differently than you're going to get with a company on the level of a Ring of Honor. If this was Joe Coff, are we talking about this? If this was Joe Coff instead of Bully Ray, are we having this conversation? Does this story I don't even, go mainstream? I don't think, you know, we're not having this conversation just even outside of Joe Coff if it, if it was Todd Sinclair. Exactly. As you had mentioned. The, the thing is, you know, it's kind of, but this is, you know, really, this is. This is almost a compliment. This is a true compliment to Bully Ray. that Because what is one of those things that we always talk about that's so beautiful about professional wrestling is when you blur those lines between reality and, and the fiction. And, and Bully Ray is one of those old school individuals that it's really kind of hard to tell where one ends and the other begins. So, you know, when we hear they're presenting him as the enforcer, you know, going back when he, jo- you know, rejoined Ring of Honor there, he's in that role as the enforcer. Now he is kind of the guy that, that's picking on the little person. And when we think of, you know, that indie, that indie fan, that indie mark, you know, who, who thinks they can get in there and just go all out and do it, that we're thinking of that, that smaller stature. And he's a true badass heel, which is something they don't have inside of ROH. Like, yeah, Matt Taven is the world heavyweight champion, but he plays basically a chicken shit heel. Bully Ray is the big badass heel. He's the big bad bully that you want to see get his ass whipped. If you go and you look at this guy and what he said, Bully Ray said to him and what Bully Ray confirms he said to him, this reads like somebody like a tour manager telling a fan Knock your shit off or you're going to get tossed. So it's almost, you know, it's almost kind of, it's almost kind of fair warning. Yeah. You, you know, you're going to get banned from all of our events. We're not going to let you back into this venue. You're going to be out tonight. And if you, you know, and then if you really cross the line there, you know, it might be some legal action here. I think, you know, beyond where people are getting caught up in that blurred line between, between, the you know the management type and the performer we also have to take into account you know this is actually exciting people because it did involve velvet sky i have a friend and this friend we're gonna call him big gus because well his name is big gus but big gus stands about six foot nine and he's probably about 325 pounds and he's tattooed from head to god knows where 
Like this dude has done like personal security for porn stars at the porn stars ball in Las Vegas, Nevada. He's done personal security for guys like Vinnie Paul from Pantera. All right. Gus knows what he's doing. So I'm, I'm hanging out with my friend, Big Gus, and a couple of other guys. And we're at the Valair Ballroom in Ames, Iowa. And this shitty band called Stone Sour is playing, right? And so we're sitting there and we're watching Stone Sour. And Big Gus looks over at us and he says, hey, you guys want to go backstage? We're like, yeah, sure. Why not? Follow me. Because ain't nobody telling Gus he can't go nowhere. So Big Gus and his group of mishorts as we were we all go walking backstage and we're backstage maybe 20 30 minutes and some drunk ass fan is backstage and getting rowdy and big gus grabs the motherfucker and throws him out who comes walking up to big gus is the tour manager for stone sour and he says i'm sorry who are you and he goes big gus nice to meet you who are you and he goes, well, I'm the tour manager. And Gus goes, okay, well, then evidently I'm doing your fucking job. That's Big a true Gus. fucking story. <laughs> Big Gus throwing it down. That's a true fucking story. It's the tour manager. And in this case, that would be Bully Ray. If this is anybody else on that roster, like you said, Todd Sinclair we're not even having this conversation because even what the fan says that bully Ray said to him is spoken like office. Now get out there and enjoy yourself as a fan. What's so threatening about that? Other than the fact that it's bully Ray saying it to you. Uh, you know, obviously, yeah, we're talking about it. If, if, would the story be, you know, picking up any steam at all? Uh, let's just, you know, let's flip it here a little bit, but let's talk about the effect of, you know, coming from the messenger. You know, if it's Todd Sinclair, yeah, you appreciate it because because you know if if you are a true Ring of Honor fan, it, you know you're going to have the ultimate respect for everything that Todd Sinclair has done. Uh, Bully Ray delivering even the politest of message is going to scare the living shit out of anyone and straighten them out. Right? Get out there and enjoy yourself as a fan. I felt like my life was in danger because it came from Bully Ray. Now. Was it handled properly? Absolutely not. Should Bully Ray be that person? Probably not. But I feel like this entire story is just so incredibly blown out of proportion. That is just a fact of life. Absolutely ridiculous. Let's talk about Eli Drake. Eli Drake is a free agent, Huckleberry. He uh, took to the interwebs the other day, and he announced that after four years with Impact Wrestling, some ups, some downs, I would like to thank them for an overall great experience. Throughout those years, I had the fortune of carrying three different title belts, having my own talk show, Fact of Life, and was given the trust to craft my own promos virtually from day one. And it shows because that's why he's one of the best talkers they ever had at Impact Wrestling. I appreciate the chance that was taken on me and I, the trust I was given, as well as the friends and experiences I gained along the way. I wish Impact Wrestling nothing but continued success and growth going forward. Today, I am officially a free agent. Now, Rick, we're getting ready to talk some New Japan. We're going to talk some AEW. We're going to talk some Ring of Honor. We're going to talk some MLW. We're going to talk some WWE. Where should the namer of dummies end up? Well, you got to really look at his style here. It, 
and obviously, you know, where you were talking about how gifted he is on the microphone and so many individuals, that's, you know, but that's where they're going to go first. And rightfully so. That is his strong point. But he, he is so strong there that many forget he can, he's, he's pretty damn solid inside the ring uh, from bell to bell as well. So he's going to be able to go out there and hang with anyone. You know, I'm looking at these different promotions here and what they kind of present and how they mesh their styles. I know, you know, a lot of times we strongly support Ring of Honor. I don't know if that is such a great fit right now with AEW. I, I think they need to really establish, you know, who they've got here, really start gearing up for that television. I think this would be a tremendous boost for Major League Wrestling. I agree. I, when I look inside of the pro he he's a great talker. So going to Japan, you might as well just rule out right away. I mean, it, that just doesn't make any sense. Inside of ROH, I don't see them giving Eli Drake the clearance that he is going to need to go out there and get himself over. Um, we can talk a little bit about ROH's booking right now when we when we talk about best well, yeah, in the and, world, but and, and they have been making you know some adjustments towards that more of that sports entertainment style. And maybe if they if they could attract someone like an Eli Drake and give him the ball, let him run with it to kind of open that up a little bit more for them. And I could see where those maybe that those conversations take place. But I think ultimately, you know, there's not really enough time. Even in as Ring of Honor is just slightly adjusting towards sports entertainment, there's still not enough time for like Eli Drake, you know, to really go out there and get himself over under that umbrella. As far as AEW goes, I feel like their top five, top six guys are kind of in place right now. So, yeah, Eli Drake could absolutely go there. He could absolutely be a part of the show as long as he is comfortable being Dolph Ziggler, as as long as he's comfortable being, you know, that that top of the second tier of guys, maybe once in a blue moon for a minor show, you find yourself into a main event, but you're, you're basically going to be carrying whatever that company's mid card title is going to be. And I don't think he's going to be content with that. And I don't, I don't even, even inside that mid card, you look at what he brings to the table. AEW has already kind of invested that in, in uh, Friedman. Yeah. Yeah. MJF is already in that role and you could argue is playing it better than Eli Drake even. So at that point, you know, they would almost, and I know immediately. Oh my God. Could you imagine those two together as a team? Well, you know, either, you know, together or opposing one another, you know, the promos that they could cut against each other. But you got to, you know, Eli Drake there when he was in Impact Wrestling, you know, he had muscle behind him. He had other individuals. Uh, it was was it Masters that was with him that left because he he, he saw, you know, I don't want to come in here and play a second fiddle. Would Drake feel OK in that role? Because you got to believe that MJF would be the focal point. Uh, any kind of faction or just tag team that they had together. And even if they were squaring off one-on-one, I mean, that, that could create some great entertainment on that, on that mid card at undercard, but the focus is going to be on MJF. Which really leaves then ROH and MLW. And I just think MLW would use him better. I think MLW would give him a better opportunity. He would be going up against better consistent talent and I have way more faith in their booking right now. I almost feel like it's he's like 
the other version of Marty Skrull. Like Marty Skrull is in this role with ROH. If he resigns with ROH, like you are a perennial main eventer and you can put ROH on your back. I feel like if Eli Drake goes to MLW, like I love filthy Tom Lawler. I don't want filthy Tom Lawler going out and doing press conferences for me. Eli Drake, I could absolutely see him as the face of MLW. Well, you know, one of those, I mean, he could go down there and really take on, you know, that heel Miz, that, that MJF for you. I mean, he could take them to the next level right there. And he's someone that, that can make those regular rounds. You know, he's seen, he has seen the, you know, the inner workings with WWE. You know, he's been there with TNA Impact Wrestling. He understands that sports entertainment aspect. And that's something that I think, you know, MLW in, in small doses could, could certainly benefit from, you know, but as you were talking about Ring of Honor, how's he fit in there? It's just like I said, Although they are making small adjustments, to, you know, to show a little bit more sports entertainment, it's more like in their in their characters and how they're presenting them because they're still not designating a whole lot of time, to, you know, you know, to Mike, you know, to someone going out there and working the mic. All right, so I think we're actually kind of in agreement. Eli Drake, MLW, Court Bauer, get him on the phone. Let's get this deal done. And you know what the other thing that would be great about Eli Drake is he is such a great talker that he could go down to Mexico with all the Lucha partnerships that they have. Oh my God. I can just imagine how much heat that guy could get in Mexico. Hey, you know what? You know where I'm expecting him to make a couple appearances though. And these are going to be major. I will most certainly be in attendance, you know, right here in, in Southern Ohio, the Cincinnati area. Let's not forget. Let's not forget who trained him and who runs a promotion here. And essentially is a major player in the book at battle on the border pro wrestling. That's one, Mr. Cody Hawk. Very, very interesting. Let's take things all the way around the world and get your final Best of Super Juniors update. All right, Huckleberry, sometimes we talk about booking and bookings that I don't understand, and and we're, we're just going to run through these top three matches for the best Super Juniors final, but this first one, this first one bugs me. And you know, I, I'm getting the impression that Gato knows that it bugs me, and that's why he keeps on doing it. Like, he is just building more and more and more heat for this goddamn Dirty knife pervert switchblade, Jay White. He puts down the ace, puts down Tanahashi, and Tanahashi's grand return after the Madison Square Garden match with Zack Sabre Jr. And, Rick, this match wasn't even close. This was Switchblade Jay White systematically taking apart Hiroshi Tanahashi and doing two things. Number one, making me really want to see Switchblade Jay White get his ass kicked. Like now he's even growing out the goatee and it looks like he's got like a 13 year old's goatee where it doesn't fill in on the sides at all. So he kind of looks like a pirate and it's like like, straggly pubes. Yeah. And it's like, it gives him even more heat because he looks so goddamn ridiculous. I want to see somebody slap him so hard that his stupid little mustache goes flying off of his face, but he puts down the ace in the, Ace's return that like that place came unglued for Hiroshi Tanahashi. And then it was just like 20 minutes of fuck you, Jay White. Fuck you. 
hey, we had a good discussion about this last week. You know, and, and going in each direction, this was one of those who were kind of on the edge of the seat of, about because you could see it going either way. That almost both of these individuals needed a big win here. And as I kind of, as I now in hindsight looking back at this thing, I think it was the right call. You know, moving forward here to keep that keep that heat on White where he's had that serious dip. I think he needed something big, and that's and this is that that jumpstart for him. People throw me a lot of shit because I love Tyler Breeze so much. And I've told the story on the show before. The way that Tyler Breeze became my favorite wrestler was I realized he was working me. I hated Tyler Breeze. I hated him so much. Oh, my God. I couldn't believe how much I hated watching Tyler Breeze. And then all of a sudden it registered. Oh, my God. I'm supposed to hate Tyler Breeze. This kid is so fucking good. And that's how he became my favorite wrestler. Rick, I, I have a feeling in a couple of years, we're going to be sitting here and it's going to occur to me that Jay White is my favorite wrestler because this motherfucker is working me. Did we just become best friends? Did we just become best friends? God damn it. But you know, it, it also begs the question because the next person we're going to talk about here is John Moxley. And I, I saw a couple of people talking about this idea that John Moxley should join the Bullet Club and take over the Bullet Club from Switchblade Jay White. And I said, number one, if John Moxley is going to join any faction, it should be Los Ingobernables because that guy's about as ungovernable as you can possibly get. Number two, what's wrong with Switchblade? Like, I do you view like this Switchblade era as a failure for the Bullet Club? Because I don't get it at all. You know, I, I actually I don't want to see Moxley in the in the Bullet Club. I'm kind of you know just kind of you know you're that outsider. Let's take let's take the cracker and throw him in there. I got a, a different little twist here for you. And my, my first thought was I'd like to see a complete uh, Ohio is for killers invasion. But, I'd be uh, let, down with that. But but let's let's take it one more step. You know, let's not forget before Ohio was for killers, John Moxley and Sammy Callahan were the Switchblade conspiracy. But I think I think I want to see them against each other. I don't want to see them together. I want to see them against each other. No, I, I'm saying dude, that creates the drama. I mean, you give you create with this illusion here. You've got these. You've got this group called the Switchblade Conspiracy, but they're kind of at odds here. You know, are they going to join the club? What's going on here? Jay White, known as Switchblade. I, I think there, there's some there's some underlining tones there that you that you can. That you can play into. When those vignettes started for Switchblade, I thought it was Sammy Callahan. I thought Sammy Callahan should have been the Switchblade character. They went with Jay White, and I think Jay White's killing it, man. I, I don't understand. And I wonder, like, is this an American thing? Because, like, Bullet Club has certainly cooled off in America, but watching it as a Japanese wrestling fan, I don't feel like Bullet Club has missed a step. Well, I think that's just that's, you know, perception that that the West, you know, they kind of adopted Bullet Club. And, you know, when you had the explosion with the elite and all that, they, they really just took ownership of it. To so, so now they feel that it truly is there. They're forgetting about the roots, where this thing came from before before, you know, it swept the globe. It was complete dominance. I mean, it was the levels of the NWO, you know, over there in Japan. And, and now it's kind of getting. So, somewhat back to those roots there. 
I just think, you know, the, the, the West, the Western fans, they're just kind of looking for that next great, you know, that next, that next great individual that, that they can really relate to. And I think, you know, there's so many individuals out there too, that, that right now just truly do not understand who or what John Moxley is. And they're, and they're still kind of relating it to Dean Ambrose, which is, which is a complete disservice to this new persona. I think I put the blame more on Ring of Honor than I do on New Japan Pro Wrestling. Uh, when the elite left Ring of Honor, so did the Bullet Club. Like, there's there's no Bullet Club members inside of ROH anymore. Like, there was the American Bullet Club and the Japanese Bullet Club. Right. And, well, I was going to say, not you know, not on, on a full-time basis. Right, but I mean, with the Bucks and Cody and Adam Cole, and, well, and who's the I'm last saying. Bullet Club member that was in doing a stint in ROH other than G.O.D. and who showed up and like carried one match? Well, that's what I'm saying. You know, they and still that was have the a, hottest crowd that they've had since. They still have some of those ties, but yeah, you got you know the G.O.D. representing as champions, but you know that's few and far between. You know when we're going to see them available, so you still have that there. Was there any ever like excuse why Marty was dismissed? No, none. I was thinking about that the other day. It's like he just left Bullet Club and started Villanon prices. And well, he's he, even in Japan. It seemed like that audience was a little confused about his, you know, his alliance yeah. or allegiance where it was at. You know, when he was working, you know, this most recent tour, he had Brody in his corner. But it was seen some of the reactions were kind of as he was still representing Bullet Club. Yeah, it's it's kind of a weird dynamic with the Bullet Club right now. If I'm ROH, I'm just pushing for, okay, listen, we need Bullet Club merch. We need to be able to sell Bullet Club merch at our shows. We need somebody representing Bullet Club inside of ROH if this partnership is going to continue. You know, outside of going with, with the big guns, the GOD, I'm, I'm actually really surprised that they're not trying to reach out to bring in, you know, maybe some of the other individuals. If you're Ring of Honor, I think that would be tremendous exposure to West for someone like a Chase Owens. Right. Yeah. I mean, they, they sent over Juice, you know, and Juice was over here for a little while. But yeah, send us a Chase Owens. Let Chase Owens run wild through ROH for a little while, representing Bullet Club. Split the merch sales. You can sell Bullet Club stuff. I mean, when I look at ROH crowds, all I see is Bullet Club and Villain Club and a few Villain Enterprises, you know, and then you have the occasional like one-offs. But it's like they're not even selling that merch at those shows anymore. You know, if you could take, you know, two of, you know, the the younger to, to mid-level talents from Bullet Club and give them extended runs inside Ring of Honor, you know, that's going to re-energize that merch for you. And someone, you know, someone like Chase Owens, he could easily fit right into that mid-card, become very competitive, and, and you know, it, let him show some personality, let him get out there and see if he can really help drop some of this merch for you. Like you said, it, it's just a lot of it, too, isn't that you necessarily need the hottest talent representing them. You just need the means and the reasons to have that merchandise at your table. Yeah, because the Bullet Club brand was way hotter than the ROH brand. I mean, that's just the reality of it. Uh, let's talk about John Moxley. John Moxley, your new IWGP United States champion. He wins the title from Juice Robinson, and 
I, there's a couple different ways to look at this thing. I, I'm waiting for the political shitstorm to come here that an AEW contracted wrestler is holding an IWGP championship. Um, how long do you expect this Moxley run to go? Because I'm guessing he loses this title and we don't see him again in New Japan Pro Wrestling after King of Pro Wrestling right in at the beginning of, of October. Well, I think, you know, and, and that's the big payoff for them right now. It's going to bring... Uh, every year you're looking for, you know, within New Japan, trying to expand their global reach. You know, this is a, a solid lockdown for them for these next couple of months for, you know, the handful of events, especially, the, you know, the big G1 coming up that, that Moxie's going to participate in. That, that's your big selling point for him. He's going to get a nice payday out of this thing. And then I, then I could actually see that. You know, I, I wouldn't be surprised to possibly because, uh, you know, what it's what it tends to mean to a lot of these individuals, especially now to have that opportunity, you know, if, if you've worked a big match at WrestleMania, or even if you've worked WrestleMania to also say, you know, put on your resume that you were also a part of Wrestle Kingdom. Juice Robinson in this promo that I'm about to play for you um, says that John Moxley killed CJ Parker, whatever was left of CJ Parker and Juice Robinson, John Moxley killed him. And screw you fans, screw all of you haters, screw all of you who never believed in me. I hope you're happy. You were right. You were right. He came in here and he whipped my ass. You were right. Here's the audio from Juice Robinson. You were all fucking right, all right? Everybody was right. How do you feel good? You feel good? I hope you feel good. Pat yourself on the back. All right? You crowned him. You, you, you crowned him two weeks ago. And you were all right. Thanks for believing in me, world. Thanks for hoping for me. You called it just like it went. He beat the shit out of me. What does this look like to you, huh? What does this look like? I'll tell you what it is. He fucking bit me. He fucking beat, bit me and he demoralized me. And he walked in and he took the only thing in the fucking world that means anything to me. Do you understand that? Has anybody ever did that to any of you? Because it just happened to me. And let me tell you. I don't even know the words. It sucks. Alright? But you know what? I guess it's alright. Because we're all going to go around about 70 to 80 times around the sun. And then we're all going to be fucking dead. So whatever. I did. I tried. Alright? I went out there with my heart and my nuts. And I fought my little ass off. Alright? I hope nobody's sitting around thinking that Juice Robinson isn't made of the right stuff. Because if you think that, fly to Narita. I'll meet you there, and I will beat the shit out of you. Because that guy is a badass. He's one of the biggest badasses I've ever met in my life. He is different than he was eight years ago. He's better. He took over the world in another company, and he quit because he was pissed off. If you couldn't see the chip on his shoulder, you're blind as a bat. He came here and he made an example out of me. But one thing he did do tonight was he got rid of C.J. Parker. There ain't one ounce of C.J. Parker in this body right here. Not one speck of DNA pumping through these fucking New Japan veins. You understand me? He is dead and Juice Robinson killed him. I will get back to where I'm supposed to be. And you guys are going to have a great time watching it. And you're going to go, oh, just change, just change. 
Go to hell. All right, go to hell. These Japanese people, they love me and I love them. You get on your keyboards and you can say all you want about me. But I want you to know that all you on your keyboards over across the Pacific Ocean, hanging tight in the good, road, good old red, white, and blue. When I have that belt over my shoulder, I don't think America. I don't think USA. The only four letters that I give a hot damn about is IWGP. And I hope you all take that personally. All right? So what do you think, Rick? Is this kind of a heel turn for Juice Robinson? Is that what we're doing with Juice Robinson? Or are we just going to get a much more serious, less flamboyant Juice Robinson going forward? You know, I, I didn't take this as a heel turn at all. And let me, you know, just to speak to this entire story that we had, you know, coming into this match, you know, Juice delivered uh, via social media just an incredible statement, you know, talking about him, how him and Moxley, you know, reported to the performance center at the exact same exact same time. The, the time that they spent together, even you know, entering entering the WWE training at the same time, Moxley was was much more advanced. You know, he had the the street starts. He was trained at HWA under Les Thatcher and Cody Hawk, who who themselves before before the performance center, they were. They were the head trainers for the up-and-coming WWE talents. So they knew the inside. Moxley had that advantage. So he was sharing sharing all you know that education with Juice Robinson. Obviously, Moxley goes on, on to you know greater things in WWE. Juice has to you know check himself out of the system, relocate, rebuild, regroup, whatever. Uh, this was a very personal match going in. I, I love the twist coming out of this thing. Moxley goes over, and and now Juice is kind of okay. You know what this represented? This was this is saying goodbye to that young kid that used to look up to Moxley, that used to need him for advice. I have I've fully evolved now. I am my own individual. I am this new being. I'm looking forward to not a heel turn, but I want to see him become much more serious. I want to see him, you know, just re rebrand himself so much. I've been talking about this for weeks at Ring of Honor. You know, one of the things it's just at times it just you know, when he was the leader of Lifeblood, it's just so hard to take the entire group seriously because you really couldn't take Juice seriously. Yep, I completely agree. Cutting off the dreads makes one hell of a statement as well. Um, let's talk about Moxley now. I'm waiting for somebody to kill the Dean Ambrose and John Moxley because I, I saw Moxley's post-match interview as well, and he seemed incredibly gracious and very, very thankful and very... Not John Moxley. Um, even watching this match, man, like maybe there's a bit more aggression, like the Impaler double arm DDT is a nice touch, you know, but it was like, it felt like I was watching a Dean Ambrose match. And I'm hoping that the G1 will basically kill the Dean Ambrose and John Moxley. Like, I wonder if Moxley feels like I need this. I need to go out and have 20 matches and just completely reinvent my style well you know it's looking forward to the g1 and so many potential matchups you know the people uh, you know you know borderline talking on dream matchups in, in this case with moxley you know he's kind of he's being very how'd you put it there you know he, he's being very thankful for the opportunity and all that and, and even he explained why this match was happening where it did is because those people are familiar with him so I was wondering, you know, maybe it was because he, he wants to keep people, 
familiar, so they continued to buy into him. So it wasn't a complete turn off the first time out, you know, that he is he's representing what truly Moxley is that, you know, this just this vicious, chaotic persona. Or was it maybe more of a culture thing? You, I wanted to ask you about that, Jargo, because you know more about, you know, how one should represent themselves over there. I mean, it was that he wanted to, you know, say, you know, thank you for this opportunity. So they were more appreciative of him. It almost felt like it felt like that was the real John Good. You know what I mean? Like, I felt like that's a conversation like him and Harold and Gato and, you know, that they all should have had behind closed doors. Thank you very much for this opportunity, blah, 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 blah. And then go out and go full on Chris Jericho when Chris Jericho came to New Japan Pro Wrestling. I mean, you didn't hear him say thank you for nothing. He was a complete freaking lunatic, pun intended. You know, like, that's what I expected from John Moxley. And especially, like, with the entrance where he comes out through the crowd, like, very... I don't know, Dean Ambrose. And it was just like, as I'm watching this, it was just like, I'm not getting it. Like there's a couple of moves that he's doing. He's biting juice on the forehead. Like it just felt like Dean Ambrose unleashed. And I don't want Dean Ambrose unleashed. I want John Moxley. What do you think about babies biting people? Babies biting people. Not like, not like little babies, (laughs) like baby faces. Oh, gotcha. Wow. My brain went somewhere <laughs> completely different. Um, is he supposed to be a baby face? Well, I'm just talking in general. We, we had, you know, I was calling a match last night. We had, we had many numerous tremendous female talent uh, showcased on the card. It's just, it just when he said that kind of popped into my mind because as I'm calling the match, and I have to kind of, she's obviously working. She's represented as the baby. She's got kind of this outer space Bailey kind of gimmick going on. She, she's very unique, bubbly and all this, but she kept going to biting the, her opponent's knuckles. Is it, it was it in retaliation for something kind of, I mean, just kind of maybe to put them in their place, but it wasn't like anything like obvious, like where the, you know, the heel was biting, biting first or something like that. It was just kind of a little, it was an, a, an attempt to, you know, get a pop. But as you're sitting there, it's okay. Uh, we don't want these kids thinking that you just go bite someone for fun. Right. Yeah. That's, I don't know. That's a little, a, a little side tangent just popped in my mind. Hey, maybe if she was playing a vampire who like shimmered in the sunlight, like the new Batman. So let's talk about Osprey. Osprey slays the dragon, wins the best of Super Juniors, and Shingo's winning streak at 97. But Rick, I think the the bigger story was what was said afterwards that he wants to remain a junior heavyweight and face heavyweights. So I think everybody is kind of speculating that we're going to see Osprey inside of the G1 climax. We could see a rematch because Shingo has demanded that he wants bigger and better competition. It seems as though Shingo is the one moving up to heavyweight as he is going to be taking on Kojima at Dominion. He demanded a singles match with a heavyweight and the New Japan office is obliged and he's basically starting at the bottom of the heavyweight division. Are we seeing here just maybe a little bit of a theme running through the show? You know, we're talking about expansion and adapting to styles. Is this a little bit of, of New Japan trying to, to blend these divisions a little bit that we, you know that we have come so used to that we see in the West? 
Uh, we, we talk regularly about you know how anything outside of this tournament, the division almost seems neglected at times. Uh, are they trying to? Are they trying to kind of blend these things, Drago? You know, I think it, it, it's a matter of perception. Because you could say that the tag team division has been completely abandoned since World Tag League and Wrestle Kingdom. No, it's just not their time of the year. The way the New Japan calendar works is you have your big blow off in January, February, and then you go into junior season. Then you go into heavyweight season. Then you go into junior tag season. And then you go into heavyweight tag season. I think it's just kind of the the rotation of things where it's like, you know, yeah, after best of super juniors. We're probably not going to see a lot of these guys again in New Japan Pro Wrestling until next year's Best of Super Juniors or Junior Tag League. Right. I, I see where you're coming from. And then maybe that perception, you know, is there because the, the importance and the excitement is so much greater than when we're talking about the G1 itself. Right. As in comparison to anything else that's really going on. And when you have talent like Will Ospreay and Shingo Takagi you want to feature them as much as you possibly can. You don't want them taking off G1 season. So let's throw them in the G1. Well, and, and now, you know, as we're talking about that, they, they each want some bigger competition, uh, indicating that they would like to have an opportunity to heavyweights. Let's not forget, you know, you know, following this match. Now, both individuals are, are owed, have earned uh, opportunities at the, at the junior weight title. Yeah, that, and that's going to absolutely come into this as well. Another thing coming out of the Best of Super Juniors final was Minoru Suzuki. Minoru Suzuki is pissed, and that's never good for anybody. He is tired of Gaijin coming over and taking his spot, and he wants to fight John Moxley, and he wants to fight Chris Jericho. Rick, I want to see both of those matches. Uh, I have a feeling that he, when he said that, Suzuki met at the same time. Yeah, it, th- that wouldn't surprise me either. Uh, could you imagine if you were an unruly fan and you got called to the back and it was Suzuki oh, that had to scold you? Uh, Bully, Bully Ray just became Todd Sinclair in that situation. <laughs> oh, that's tremendous. Uh, so now I'm hoping that we get Suzuki and Moxley inside of the G1. I hope that they are inside of the same bracket. That I absolutely want to see. I need to see that match. And I want to see Suzuki versus Jericho, but I don't want Jericho to win the IWGP championship, and I don't want Suzuki to challenge Jericho for the IWGP championship. We need a different way to get to Suzuki versus Jericho. So I'm just going to say... Has there been any rumblings of maybe Jericho entering the G1? Come on, man. Come on. Like, I think I think Moxley is nuts. Like, I, I think Moxley is really going to be tested going through this G1, man. Like, this thing is a freaking grind. I know that he thinks that the WWE schedule is a grind, but this G1 tournament is something else. Yeah, I think Jericho probably knows at this point he, he wants or needs anything to do with it. No, 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 no. I, I don't see that happening. So, But I'm hoping that maybe at like a King of Pro Wrestling, somehow we can get to a Suzuki versus Jericho match. We're going to talk well, about you, Suzuki again you could, in a minute. You could have, uh, we could really heat this thing up, Suzuki versus AEW. Uh, although we got we already got some heat there between Jericho and Moxley. I mean, maybe Jericho does it because he's trying to, uh, in a roundabout way, with by giving the assist, he's insulting Moxley. You could have Moxley and Suzuki for an, in an elimination match, and Jericho interferes. 
Oh my god! Like costing, I just, costing, I, costing Suzuki the match. So at that point, Suzuki is like, I don't care what it takes. Get me this match, or I will destroy everything and everyone in my path, Street Godzilla style. And then, you know, on another sense, there you've got Jericho kind of almost as a, a middle finger and a joke to to Moxley, like, "Hey, yeah, I remember what you did to me. I made sure that there was something left of you for me to tear apart when you get back to AEW." If Moxley killed C.J. Parker, I think Minoru Suzuki is the guy to kill Dean Ambrose. Just saying. Let's talk a little bit about Dominion. Huckleberry, if, if this was WWE, this would be basically the equivalency of SummerSlam. This is their second biggest show of the year. Uh, let's re- kind of run through the card here. As this show is coming up tonight, we'll have a full review Monday inside the locker room. Your first match is going to be a death match. Not because it's being advertised as a death match, but because I think Shota Umino might die. John Moxley takes on Shota Umino in your opening match. That's right. They're going to give him a young lion. After after killing C.J. Parker, now they're going to give John Moxley a young lion. This is a non-title matchup. Rick, is this goodbye, Shota? Is this like how we write Shota off of the show so Shota can go on excursion? Because that would make a lot of sense to me. I was going to say, uh, definitely, this is an exit for him. Uh, good luck. Good luck to wherever you're heading. Yeah, and I expect big things from Shota Umino. Uh, Kojima is going to take on Shingo Takagi. We talked about that match a little bit. Yoshihashi and Jushin Thunder Liger are going to take on Zack Sabre Jr. and Minoru Suzuki. This match is boiling and boiling. I thought we were going to get the singles match at Dominion. I thought it was going to be Suzuki versus Liger. Suzuki keeps stealing Jushin Thunder Liger's mask. And uh, that is not necessarily how Jushin Thunder Liger wants to go on his farewell to this is going to come to a head eventually we're going to get Liger versus Suzuki but in this matchup I'm looking for Yoshihashi to get absolutely murdered and Minoru Suzuki to steal Liger's mask kind of keep it going Taguchi Juice Robinson and the ace Hiroshi Tanahashi take on Bullet Club Taiji Ishimori Chase Owens and Jay White look for uh, Tanahashi to get his win back here because unfortunately Chase Owens is in the match and that normally means he's taking the pin never open weight champion Championship on the line. Huckleberry's favorite Japanese wrestler, Tomohiro Ishii, takes on my least favorite Japanese wrestler, not named Toru Yano, Tai Chi. Uh, Huckleberry, I'm really hoping that Ishii just absolutely murders Tai Chi, and Miho Abe has to pick up the pieces, and Ishii walks away as your never open weight champion. Hey, let's crown a new champion here. Uh, this one, this one should be pretty intense. A little hard hitting. A little old school style, a little uh, RBV style, if you will. It wouldn't surprise me if we see Tai Chi bust out the iron glove in this match. Ever since Lazuka kind of went away, Tai Chi's been carrying that thing around. This is a match I could see that thing coming into play. IWGP Tag Team Championships on the line as G.O.D. takes on L.I.J. Because we haven't seen Tamatonga and Tongaloa versus Evil and Sonata enough times. I'm not sure why this match is happening. I'm also not sure why Sonata looks like a blonde beetle. Have you seen this? Sonata like cut off his mohawk and he got a bowl cut and he dyed it blonde. He looks like a blonde beetle. I don't know, uh, you know, possibly who had more of the drastic hair change, uh, either Sonata or Brian Pillman Jr. 
Yeah, and they both look absolutely awful. First one to shave their head absolutely wins the match. IWGP Junior Heavyweight Championship on the line. The winner of the Best of Super Juniors, the aerial assassin Will Ospreay. He slayed one dragon. Now he's coming for another one. Dragon Lee. Huckleberry, we know we're going to be seeing Dragon Lee inside of ROH here in a couple of weeks. We're going to talk about that here a little bit later as well. Um, do you think Dragon Lee drops the title here to Will Ospreay and we actually see the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Champion enter the G1? Or does Dragon Lee hold on to this title? You know, we, we, you know, we had some great conversation about this, you know, and really presented what I thought was, you know, tremendous arguments for both sides going over in this thing. But now that we now that knowing that that Osprey, you know, that instead of just moving on to to the heavyweight division that he wants to represent and compete in both. I mean, how it would be historic, correct, to, ha- to have the champion competing in the G1? Never happened. Never seen the junior champion inside the G1. What would be would be very interesting. Let me ask you this. Let's see. Now, like Shingo had defeated Dragon Lee, earning himself an opportunity. Does that opportunity, does that become void if Dragon Lee is no longer the champion? Or is Indeed. it just... That, that would basically just eliminate Shingo from the junior division. He would have no ties to the junior division at that point. Not that anybody would object to seeing Osprey versus Shingo, too. Right. I, I was just kind of curious if that, if that locks you into an opportunity, which really it makes it, it doesn't seem like that's very fair that you beat an ex-champion and now the new champion owes you something. Uh, that's why I was kind of curious. So that's another interesting dynamic where, you know, Inside of the best of the super juniors, we've got a short list of, of great potential matchups for that championship as you know, challengers stepping up to Dragon Lee. So now those would all be voided yep. with Will Ospreay. And, and we kind of start from scratch, or you know, he's just representing that championship and and gearing up heading into the G1. Because it also feels like, you know, now would be a great time for Dragon Lee to drop this title. Like he has legitimately no more contenders after this well other than Shingo assuming that Shingo actually wants to challenge for the junior title but there's the ever looming question of Hiromu when is Hiromu going to return that's still kind of hanging out there we've seen Dragon Lee pay homage to Hiromu throughout the tournament and in his winning speech at best of super juniors Will Ospreay even put over you know people come people go we're a little bit light on star power this year. I think we all miss Hiromu Takahashi. Called out Hiromu by name. Big pop from the uh, Raya Goku audience. And he says, hurry back because I want to fight. Yeah. I wonder, I wonder, you know, because if we were setting this up with Dragon Lee, I mean, that was kind of the, the assumed direction that everyone was looking forward to. Well, Hiromu set the internet on fire the other day when he put out this video of basically Daryl, but with a pink face, and right. it said 6-5, and everybody was like, oh my god, Hiromu's returning at the at the Best of Super Juniors. No, they put that cat on sale on at the Best of Super Juniors. So now, at least we know they did secure the rights to Daryl. We can sell Daryl now. There, there's That legal ramification is gone, because that was a whole to-do. And we're selling Hiromu merch again. So hopefully Hiromu's back in this mix real soon. Well, that's what I was wondering. If, if maybe they, you know, maybe they go with Osprey because they're shifting gears because that timetable has changed. That very well could be as well. That could be as well. Because I don't know how much Dragon Lee is going to be in Japan. That's the thing. 
I mean, well, we, yeah, as you just said, you know, he's ROH, CMLL. Yeah, he's, I mean, he's essentially going on tour. So, you know, maybe for, you know, these undercards or, you know, even gearing up, I mean, to build a little more hype around Osprey going into that G1, you want him representing that championship. Yeah, that could be. Let's talk about another championship. I'm talking about the IWGP Intercontinental Championship. It's my favorite championship in all of professional wrestling at the moment. And the guy who's going to be challenging for it hates that fucking belt. His name is Tetsuya Naito. He hates the Intercontinental Championship. He feels that it's disrespected him for years. But more than he hates the Intercontinental Championship, he hates Kota Ibushi. And he wants to beat Kota Ibushi because Kota Ibushi took this worthless title away from him. So we're getting the rematch. It's going to be Naito versus Ibushi one more time. And Kota Ibushi's going to win, right? I would assume so. You know, I feel like we're, we're getting a lot of these repeats regularly on these matches well we're getting a lot of rematches here that's for sure going into g1 season because that's really when everything kind of resets and rivalries are built for the next year is inside the g1 is it safe to say whoever loses this match tetsuya naito is the favorite to win the g1 see i would like to see something here where you know some stakes outside of the championship where a loser doesn't even qualify for the g1 Oh, see now that's just mean. We can't we can't do the G one without Kota Ibushi and Tetsuya Naito. Well, you get one of them. Oh my God, you're awful. Let's talk about the IWGP Heavyweight Championship. It's Painmaker versus Rainmaker. Jericho versus Okada. Finally, Rick, I laughed so hard. So the other night at the Best of Super Juniors final, it's Rocky Romero and Okada versus Marty Skrull and Brody King. And after the match, Okada pops right up and he's like, where's Jericho? And he's looking over his shoulder. And the lights go out. They play a Jericho video. Lights come back on. Okada turns around real quick. Like, he's ready for Jericho. He's done his homework. He's ready for the alpha. Okada's winning this match. Like, there's no way. No chance in hell Chris Jericho walks out the IWGP World Heavyweight Champion. I don't think um, none whatsoever here. Uh, and I would even go as far to say, I know you were talking about Zuki says that he wants Moxley and Jericho. I'm going to assume this is probably that we don't see Jericho for a little while here in New Japan. Yeah, I, I, I think so as well. I think this is Jericho's grand send off for at least a while. Okay, let's talk about AEW. We don't have a lot of AEW to talk about, but I do got something that I thought was kind of interesting. So Huckleberry, the AEW pay-per-view buy rates are out, and all the WWE trolls are laughing in the AEW fans' faces. They only sold 98,000 pay-per-views for double or nothing. Do you consider that a success or not a success? Because in my mind, that's right about what I expected. Uh, You know... I mentioned this to you before, before this thing went on, we were talking about how do they measure this event itself? You know, what, what is going to, for them is, can this be an excess success? Where could this be? Could this be failures? And one thing that I mentioned is not to worry about buy rates because where do we see this everywhere? Even this, you know, the supposed, these, these hardcore supporters of AEW, the, the, the darling audience that is locked in, you saw everywhere they were looking for streams. This is a portion of the audience that is not willing to, to fork out $60 or not even willing to organize a party to have a couple friends over to enjoy this with a group uh, of, of wrestling fans. It, it was all about streams here. So to me, to look at to look at this buy rate 
it's not concerning anywhere to me. Well, uh, I think it's, uh, and I'd like to see some international numbers here. To me, it was more about worried about their production and how things went off. This is down the list of things that they need to, you know, issues they need to iron out before we get to television. I expected that it was going to be right about 100,000. That's kind of what I had thought. All in did about 50,000. So I figured, you know, it'd be right around 100, maybe up to 150. I know some people were projecting like insane numbers, like 200, 250,000 buys. And it's like that that's not going to happen. You're not getting you're not getting those on even out, you know, even outside of wrestling, that's a stretch for some of these big events that are being featured on pay-per-view. Yeah, I agree. Uh, but I, so what I did is I went and I looked up some comparisons. Uh, I pulled up the WCW pay-per-view buy rate numbers, and I pulled up the ECW pay-per-view buy rate numbers. So for AEW's first show, they do 98,000 buys on pay-per-view. Rick, ECW only did 99,000 buys once in their entire existence. And that's during a time where it was normal to, you know, I, I know this had a higher price tag on it, but even back then, you know, at $30, it was the norm. That was how you watched an event. We didn't have all of these illegal streaming outlets that were out there. I mean, when even when you look back through WCW buy rates, like Bash at the Beach 97, 500,000 buys. Bash at the Beach 98, 600,000 buys. 500,000 buys for Halloween Havoc 98. You know, so for a first show to draw 100,000 buys inside of the era of streaming, how can you not write this up as a huge success? Which I said is even if I'm looking at this thing, there's so many other issues that, that are presented on the plate before we're even worried about this thing. I'm trying to look. What was Star- I, I do I do think you know when you are looking at this though, uh, for what it was priced at, what was it, fifty or sixty? Fifty. It was at fifty. It was at forty nine ninety nine. Yep. I, I do think that you you have to have someone really committed to examining different ways as you're going forward to get that price lowered. I and that's just, and that's just not in an answer to what WWE has got going on. That's just because everything else that we're used to from streaming services usually falls right into that 10 to $15 range. And that's what I expect. Most of their shows will be, and that they're going to corner on four big events throughout a year. That'll be at that forty nine ninety nine. Price. Well, I, I know we're gonna we're gonna talk about here a little bit. We got some uh, impact wrestling to talk about, but I saw where that they have got their price down for the pay per view coming up. Hmm. Very interesting. The Road to Fighter Fest video has been released. Uh, part one of the Road to Fighter Fest via Cody's American Nightmare Family channel on YouTube. Um, I, I like how they're building this thing up. Uh, Cody Rhodes doing a whole lot of homework on Darby Allen, which I think he absolutely needs to do. We got some build for Jay Bailey and Michael Nakazawa this week on uh, being the elite. Joey Janela versus John Moxley. I cannot freaking wait for a few over a cigarette it's absolutely brilliant and then we have the mystery the elite take on the lucha bros and a mystery partner there's only four matches announced for this thing and i've seen some people kind of shitting on that why 
I mean, this is an attraction within an attraction. That's what I don't think people realize. Like, this is a sideshow attraction to, like, a Comic-Con for video game nerds. Well, even outside of that, there's other promotions being represented here as well. Outside of AEW, there's some other there's some other matches that are going to be happening. I mean, this is like this is over top. This this is just in conjunction with. This isn't like officially one of their events, right? And there's so much more going on outside of this thing. I, I think it's just something that's going over people's head. I mean, this is like these guys showing up at you know Northeast Wrestling, and you're just mad that it was Cody. And as I look at this, Takeover typically runs five match cards. I mean, you could absolutely run these four matches on a streaming pay-per-view site for 20 bucks. People are going to watch it. I, I agree with you. I, I love the comparison there as well. You know, people complaining about this. You get a takeover, you only get five matches. Yeah. You know. And and obviously, I mean, you've got, you are introducing some, some rather unknowns. And I, I'd say, you know, three of them. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, everything else, but, you know, but you got, you know, Darby Allen in there working with Cody, which I'm is going to be tremendous storytelling. It's going to be tremendous storytelling, different styles in there. That's going to be very interesting. You, you've got the over the top with the elite, the Lucha Bros and their mystery partner. Uh, Janela and Moxley are, I believe, are just going to completely blow people away. And then with, uh, you know, in the opener there, you've got some tremendous young talents. I, I don't see... This is at this point now, you know, the more the, the more success that you have and the closer that we get, you're just going to continue to bring out just nonsense, uh, just blind ignorance from some of these fans. Let's talk a little bit of MLW. We haven't talked much MLW lately, but Huckleberry, I saw a headline that absolutely grabbed my eye. Saturday, July 6th in Cicero, Illinois. I'm going to actually look up where in the hell Cicero, Illinois is because I might actually consider going to this. I assume it's like a Chicago suburb, but it's going to be the Wagners versus the Parks. That's right. It's going to be L.A. Park and his son, El Hero del L.A. Park, taking on Dr. Wagner Jr., and his son, El Heo Dale, Dr. Wagner Jr. Rick, MLW seems like they're really getting into this Lucha. Like, they've realized that since Lucha Underground has seemingly went away, there is a market for Mexican professional wrestling in America, and MLW is jumping all hands in. I really want to see this match, and if I can see this match live, I'm going to try to see this match live. You know, it seems, you know, what I really enjoy here with, how MLW presents it. Obviously they know there is a void since Lucha is seeming like on the wayside, you know, which underground seemingly gone the wayside here. Uh, but they've always kind of had that presence. Uh, De Laurentiis has been, you know, she, she presents some of the finest Lucha doors in the world there uh, amongst other finest assets in the world. Yeah. But she, she's always bringing it. You, you got her in the corner. You, you've got this you know, amazing team scoring off here. I, I saw those two yesterday, and immediately I was scrolling through real quick, and I, I kind of saw the glimpse that I, it was, I was one of those things where I stopped and had to go find it again to make sure that I saw that correctly. This is going to be an exciting match, a, a major score for MLW. And as you had mentioned here, if we pride ourselves. If it's here on the Hitting the Marks Pro Wrestling Podcast, if it's over you know, with the Hameen Media Group on Monday in the locker room, we're the ones that are covering everything. And we were kind of disappointed in ourselves that we haven't been, you know, showing MLW as much love as we have the others. Great to see that, you know, they got a headline here. This is something that fans should really take notice of. This match specifically 
But go out there and, and start watching this product. It, it's very crisp. They are precise in their storytelling. Great backstage. You know, the shows are they're, they're short and sweet. You get good matches. I don't know what there's not really to support and, and like about this promotion. Uh, the only thing that I can think of is uh, hit your mute button so you don't have to listen to Jim Cornette call these matches. That's that's my biggest complaint about MLW right now. I just I cannot get into and like Jim Cornette calling this like two literally legendary Lucha Libre families like and knowing Cornette's feelings on Lucha Libre. Like, I don't even want to hear you to fucking call this. I, I, I really hope with this match that they that they bring Stryker back to the table. Yeah. He, he's so much well forged inside of the history and, and the knowledge of the Lucha Libre culture. And that's not even a dig on Cornette. It's just I know how he feels about it. So I don't even want to hear him call it. You know, let's talk about ROH best in the world coming up June 28th. We got another big match announcement. We now have four big matches announced for this. And well, maybe a fifth uh, new match announcement. ROH TV title on the line. Friend of the show. Shane Taylor is going to be taking on returning from the best of super juniors bandito. Now, Rick, we've seen these two go at it before. It's a very, very good match. I guess my question is, why is this match happening? Like, why is Bandito getting a shot at the ROH TV title? Well, I could, I could see this. You know, they've they've mixed it up before inside the ring. Uh, usually, at the end, it doesn't end too well for Bandito. But, uh, but you know, maybe this is you know we have that working agreement. Bandito had he had a solid a solid tournament over in the best of the super juniors. So maybe this is a reward for him going over there and representing a little bit of Ring of Honor, so that, that they are rewarding him now with a championship opportunity. I, I feel like it's just one of those things inside of ROH. I was talking with somebody yesterday, might have been MSG, just about Delirious's booking of ROH inside of the last six months or so just seems like so amiss and random and not necessarily any kind of continuity, whether it be match to match or show to show. ROH just kind of seems like it's all over the place right now. Well, it goes back, we were talking about the Open, you know, is that, kind of laying out what we're doing with Battle of the Border Pro Wrestling, it's very comparable to Ring of Honor where you got kind of two different just two different worlds running. Yeah. Jeff Cobb is going to challenge Matt Taven for the ROH World Heavyweight Championship. I like that matchup a lot. I really hope that Matt Taven can find a way to win that match without Vinny and TKO getting involved like they do in Every other Matt Taven match. Flip Gordon is going to take on Roosh, which is a match that I very much look forward to. That's all based around Flip Gordon being a moron. And then we have uh, Dalton Castle taking on Roosh, his brother, Dragon Lee, um, because he seemingly has it in his head that beating up the little brother is going to be easier, which I I'm going with Dragon Lee to win this match in 15 seconds. Oh no, I absolutely, I absolutely love this booking here. You know, Roosh has got the best adult castle, but in castle playing the mind games, he, he doesn't want that. He doesn't want that next match with Roosh. He feels that it, it would be more rewarding and a better accomplishment for the former champion. If he would go over on dragon Lee, absolutely an insult to Roosh, if you will. Absolutely love the mind games here from Dalton Castle. I want to see Dragon Lee squash him. I want to see the same thing that happened inside of MSG just one second faster and just completely send Dalton Castle off the deep end. That's what I want to see happen. Hey, Dragon Lee might be coming a little extra hungry if he is a, if he's, if he's a little light on gold. Yeah, there is that. 
Uh, then we have the NWA, Rick. The NWA is kind of, you know, it seemingly exists inside of ROH at this point, which is kind of odd. Uh, but they just released the video of Colt Cabana and James Storm, which again happened at an ROH show, but it was for the NWA National Championship. Uh, 15 minute time limit draw that I thought was absolutely fantastic. I mean, if you are a fan of less is more and two characters inside of professional wrestling, this match goes 15 minutes. And I think in the first six minutes, the only move that was used was a headlock. It was just absolutely masterful stuff from Colt Cabana and Cowboy James Storm. This match goes to the 15 minute time limit draw. Colt Cabana jumps on the microphone and says, "Uh uh-uh, we're in Chicago my hometown these fans want five more minutes we're gonna give them five more minutes and then the briscoes come out and they beat the ever loving piss out of colt cabana james storm's like "Uh, uh-uh, i don't want no part of this sorry about your damn luck and he turns around and he walks back up the ramp and the briscoes just light up colt cabana and then they start sending messages to Nick Aldis, who is on commentary. Nick Aldis comes down, and there gets to be a fisticuffs. Huckleberry, it's looking like it's going to be the Briscoes versus the NWA at best in the world. It's going to be the national champion, Colt Cabana, and the holder of the 10 pounds of gold, the world's heavyweight champion, Nick Aldis, taking on the Briscoes. I love everything about this story. I, I love the story declaring war on the NWA. Going back to that promo they cut after uh, that they, they were robbed at the uh, the Crockett Cup with the disqualification. But I'll tell you what match I, I really want to see here. I mean, we're talking about the Briscoes and potential matchups going forward with them for the rest of this year. I, I like this match with Cavana and Aldis, the two champs representing representing their brand. Absolutely love that. But what really kind of threw me. When James Storm bailed, I'd like to see him come back into play here, and I'd like to see Billy Corgan maybe go out and, and hire James Storm, saying, you know what, I do need someone. The Briscoes, they are tag team experts. They're, they're ultra-violent. They know how to work together. They are a single unit. I need someone. I need someone to take them out to end this war. James Storm, you're regarded as one of the finest tag team wrestlers in the world. I, I will pay any price if you can go get a partner to come take on the Briscoes. I think you know where I'm going. And he shows up with badass Billy Gunn. I love it. I love it. Badass actually uh, doing a spot tonight on the uh, Impact Wrestling. uh, What's that called? Impact Plus, I believe is the name of their network. It's going to be Touch It or Suck It. That's right. It's going to be Joey Ryan versus the badass Billy Gunn. Touch it or suck it. I love everything about it. I almost entertained getting the pay-per-view just to see that match. Oh, yeah, and the great Muda is on that show. I believe it is entitled A Night You Can't Missed. Nice little play on words there let's talk a little bit about impact wrestling they got slammiversary coming up They're they're starting to announce some matches for that and uh there's there's one of these that kind of stands out a little bit for me impact championship on the line it's going to be big mike michael elgin taking on brian cage how about the news that brian cage was trying to get into the uh buy-in battle royal and impact wrestling kiboshed it did you hear that story I did. You know, they don't want to have that working relationship. It goes back. We're talking about, you know, at All In, you had all those promotions kind of lending talent, working together, what made it, you know, so special. And they lost a lot of those names at Double or Nothing. Not saying, you know, taking away for Double or Nothing, AEW knocked it out of the park there, I believe. But it just kind of fell flat from 
from all in. Okay, let's put on our tinfoil hat, Hameen Media. Or is this a work? Are we trying to build heat between Impact Wrestling and AEW? Keep those tinfoil hats on for this part of the show. X Division Championship on the line. Johnny, whatever the hell promotion he's working at today, Impact, takes on Rich Swan for the X Division Championship. I'm sure that'll be a good match. This is the one that really jumps out to me. We're going to have a fatal four-way Monsters Ball match. For the Knockouts Championship, we're going to have a fatal four-way women's Monsters Ball match. The first time that the women have ever had a Monsters Ball match. It's going to be Taya versus Havoc versus Sue Young versus Rosemary. These are absolutely the four women that I would want to have inside of this match. I just I don't want to see James Mitchell anywhere near the ring. I don't want this to happen in the undead realm. I don't want this to happen with fucked up lighting. Just let these four girls go out there and do what they do. And hopefully Taya Valkyrie walks out still your impact women's champion. Well, I'm with you, you know, I'm not really in or who I, you know, prefer to see walk out of this thing. I, I really don't have a choice, uh, but I'm with you. Don't gimmick it out. Let these talents go out there and just, you know, blow the roof off of the place. I could see him putting it on havoc too. any chance havoc joins OVE. Ooh, possibility. I could see that going down. And then there's the one that really kind of caught the internet ablaze the other day. Of course, we know that Killer Cross has said that he wants out of Impact Wrestling, and I don't think that's really the case. I don't think that Killer Cross wants out of Impact Wrestling. I think he just wants Impact Wrestling to pay him what he is worth, and then he will stay at Impact Wrestling. But now it seems as though he wants to fight John Moxley. Tinfoil hats, ladies and gentlemen. Could we be setting up heat between AEW and Impact Wrestling to set up at Slammiversary John Moxley versus Killer Cross? Because if so, I will buy that pay per view just to see that match. God, what, what kind of uh, frequent flyer miles is Moxley getting right now? Dude, the, I, I think he's on a mission. I think he's on a mission to prove that you don't need the WWE if you just go out and do it. I mean, like, this is Cody 101, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's out there. Exactly what Cody did when he hit hit the road. He wasn't really over asking. He's just trying to get out there, letting people know he was willing to work, and ultimately look, you know, look at the boom in the end. The you know the ends to the means. You know how amazing that was for him. I want to see that match. Do you want to see that match? Uh, anywhere, anywhere, and everywhere. I want to see that match. Chances are our listeners want to see that match, too. All right, Huckleberry, I know you got to get to TV, so let's wrap things up. Let's talk about stomping grounds. We're going to talk a little bit about Super Showdown on Monday inside the locker room, hackerhameen.podbean.com. Craig Thompson Horsley had to go and and put it out there into the universe that he wanted a Jargo rant about the Goldberg and Undertaker match. At this point, I have not watched any of the Blood Money shows. I haven't watched Blood Money 1. I haven't watched Blood Money 2. I didn't watch blood money three but i'm gonna plug my nose and watch the nine minutes that was uh evidently the botch fest known as undertaker versus goldberg you can tune in monday into the locker room for that as well as the dominion review but they're setting up now stomping grounds and evidently what we're gonna do is a bunch of rematches from fucking blood money so we're gonna end up with rollins versus corbin for the universal championship it's gonna be ziggler versus kofi in a stale cage because, you know, 
that that's warranted. And we're going to do Roman versus Drew. I thought the I thought the stipulation, Rick, was that Roman Reigns had to beat the best in the world, Shane McMahon, in order to get a shot at Drew McIntyre at stomping grounds. And that's not what happened in the kingdom of Saudi fucking Arabia. It was Shane McMahon, the best in the world, beating Roman Reigns. Well, here's here's I got two two takes on this thing. One, why was this even a stipulation? I mean, are, are the, is the audience that hungry to once again see Roman Reigns and Drew McIntyre? I mean, we saw it at WrestleMania, and we see some sort of interaction, physical physical contact between these two weekly. Is there that much of a demand to see these two put together in a match where we didn't even you know, have the stakes of, you know, if Roman can beat Shane, then he gets Drew in a gimmick of his choice or, you know, or they're going to go, you know, use them inside the cage to kind of up the ante there. I mean, why weren't we getting that? Why was the stipulation even in place? They did go with it in any case. Roman lost the match, albeit by crook. You know, Drew interfered there. There was some miscue. Drew Drew assists with the win. Shane still gets the win, so that kind of avoids Roman's not getting the match. Who in management overrid, overrid the, the result, the decision, and, and allowed Roman to have this match? Which of the other McMahons said, screw you, Shane, we're allowing this to, to go on? It just what, was it. Was it Dad? Was it his sister? Was it Triple H? Who okayed this? I, I, I don't. I just kind of throw my hands up in the air at this point when it comes. Well, to I think the main you know it, we're, we're looking. We're looking at this card, as you said. They, they, they've been having uh, two weeks of build or two or three weeks of build. There, we don't have a whole lot of turnaround here for stomping ground. So let's just continue these things. It's just an extension. We're going to rematch everything. Maybe they're just figuring, you know, that no one even realized that was a stipulation in that match. But we do have the women at Stomping Grounds. I'm not sure where Stomping Grounds is taking place, but it's obviously not in the kingdom of Saudi Arabia. They're going to let women wrestle on this show. It's going to be Bailey taking on Alexa Bliss for the SmackDown women's title and Becky One Belt taking on Lacey Evans for the Raw women's title. Huckleberry, that's where we're going to stop for today. We're going to stop for the day on Lacey Evans because I want you to tell me how fucking great that match was with Lacey Evans and your precious Shar Shar last Monday on Raw. I'm looking back. I think, I think this might be the worst match in the history of Monday Night Raw. You know, let's talk about something really important here. Uh, let's talk about this name, Stomping Grounds. I, I mean, is this right up there with Great Balls of Fire? I mean, this is absolutely terrible. Yeah, you're well, right. One of, one, of the worst, one of the worst event names that I've ever heard. Uh, and and I, I want to take the time to answer that other question for you, Jargo, but I'm sorry. You know, I'm up against the clock. I've, I've got to get to television. We've got to get the production set up. Uh, maybe, maybe we can discuss that Monday. So that's going to wrap things up for this week's show. Thanks for listening. And if you haven't yet, please hit that subscribe button. Then make sure that you visit our friends over at thegorillaposition.com as they tell the stories of pro wrestling storytellers. Last word on prowrestling.com for all of your pro wrestling needs. Then make sure that you find hackerhameen.podbean.com where you can see me hold Rick's balls to the fire about Charlotte versus Lacey Evans this Monday in the locker room, Hackerhameen. .podbean.com. Find the entire HTM podcast network online, hittingthemarks.com. 
Let's see, what else can I plug? Plug our Twitter, at HTMPWPod. You can find me across all social media platforms, at NotJargo. RBV, how do the peeps, the freaks, and the geeks find you? Well, as always, across all social media, at the real RBV. A little heads up, I'm going to be uh, a little silent the next couple of days as, as my phone has seemingly, the screen has taken a, sh- a massive shit on me. Was it brown? It is. A, no, it's somewhere like a gold. Oh, man. Too much iron in this diet. That's it for this week's show. We'll talk to you Monday in the locker room. For now, we're off like a prom dress. See ya. Watch your fingers. Enable me. I don't give up. You bad guy. I'll be your bad guy.